You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Get your Bibles open. Ephesians chapter 2. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been with you. And if you remember, I told you the last message that we looked at in the book of Ephesians wasn't going to resolve. It was kind of part one, part two. Well, you've been sitting on this truth for about two weeks. This morning, I, I promise you it will resolve as we begin to look at the breathtaking awesomeness of God's Grace. We didn't talk much about grace in the last message because as we opened Ephesians chapter 2, it's not about grace. It is about the breathtaking awfulness of sin. Do you remember how awful we said sin was? And if you remember, I said, if I do my job right and you do your job right, there should be some audible gasps as we begin to grasp the reality of the awfulness of our sin and the awesomeness of God's grace. So I just want to make sure that I do my job right, you do your job right. Can we, can we work together here this morning? Okay. So let's give it a little shot here, okay? If I do my job right, you do your job right, you'll know what to do at the end of this statement. Are you ready? Sin is awful. Yeah, that should be your response. And God's grace is awesome. All right, so we're in this together, okay? And so, uh, you know, I was thinking about Christmas and being with my mom kind of conjured up all these memories last week of kind of when I was a kid. And I was also thinking about how different my family must have been on Christmas morning and how different Rochelle's family must have been on Christmas morning. I am an only child, okay? Rochelle is one of 10 children, okay? Now, my family wasn't rich by any means, but when there's only one kid to spoil, okay, there were a lot of gifts under the tree, and there was only one name on the gifts. It was Trent, and here, Trent, here, Trent, here's the next present. As a matter of fact, I can remember as a kid, my mom would go to Sears, do you remember this, and get the Sears Wish Book. Anybody old enough to remember this thing? Yeah, they stopped publishing it. They, uh, uh, this guy is like, he's like wanting that this year. Where's the 2016 edition of the Sears Wish Book? They don't really make it anymore. They have this thing called Google now. And uh, you, can, you can find everything you need out there. Amazon, there's all kinds of different places there. But I remember she would hand me the Sears Wish Book and, and a pen. And she's like, Just, I need to know what you want for Christmas. I'm like... That was a breathtaking moment right there. I mean, I'd open that thing up and I would circle all the different things that I wanted. And lo and behold, on Christmas morning, many of those items showed up. And do you know what that Christmas morning experience is? That is an experience with grace. The very word grace means gift. And God has a gift that he wants to give you that you are not worthy of, that you do not have enough enough money to possess, nor enough character to obtain. It is all a gift. It is called God's grace. But before you can fully appreciate the awesomeness of God's grace, you have to fully experience the awfulness of sin. So let me give you a little reminder here as we open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just remind you what we studied last time. Let's begin in verse 1. And you were dead. 
I know that caught some of you off guard there, but that was the moment right there, okay? Now, if I do my job, you do your job, you'll know what to do. I'm going to give you another shot at that, okay? And you were dead. Do you realize how dead you were? How lifeless, how incapable of having any kind of response to this God of grace. You were dead. That's how awful your sin is. You were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the disease, the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath you were an object of God's wrath that ought to take your breath away and he goes on to say you're not unique like the rest of mankind well that's the bad news well I've got three pieces of good news for you here this morning here's the first of those we were dead in sin but God makes us alive with Christ. I want you to get your eyes on the page. Look at the first two words of verse four. These two words are the words that the entire Bible hinges upon. But God. The entire story of the Bible hinges on these two words, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. That ought to take your breath away. Verse six, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you understand the hinge on which the story of the Bible and the hens upon which the story of every person who has been saved turns. It turns on these two words. Do you get the story? Here's your story. If you are saved, you say this, I was dead, but God has made me alive. He has regenerated. He has resurrected. He has sparked life in this lifeless spirit and made me come alive, something which I had no ability to do within myself. I was deceived following the course of this world, but God created a new path and woke me up to the truth and put me on a new course. I was devilish as the prince and the power of the air had infected my mind. I believed those lies, but God through a Holy Spirit has deposited within me a desire to be holy. I was 
disobedient. But God now has given me new desires to do things I once thought were ridiculous. I was doomed as an object of the wrath of God. But God has made me an object of his grace. It ought to take your breath away. Now, some of you were saved years ago. How many of you were saved years ago? If you only knew how old I was and how long ago it was that I was saved. now, Now, here's the temptation for you. The temptation for you is for that to become so familiar that it no longer takes your breath away. And if you are not still breathtaking by the story of God's grace in your life, this morning, you need a fresh experience with the grace of God and a fresh understanding that you are no better today than you were when you were an object of God's grace. We were dead in sin, but Christ has made us alive. Those two words, but God, but is a conjunction in the English language. Am I right? Am I remembering correctly back to fifth grade? Is that a conjunction? Correct. And uh, I would call that the divine conjunction. Until you have a story that includes those two words, you have not yet been saved. Do you understand the word saved? I mean, as Christians, sometimes we use that word saved. Maybe, in a, in, maybe we kind of overuse it. It's a good word to be saved, but sometimes I think we forget the implications of that. Um, this past Thursday and Friday, I went over to Chicago to be a part of our Harvest Pastors Training Center. There are 40 guys in the training center right now. They're in their last two weeks of four months worth of training, and we're about to launch them into their destination cities where they will plant in the next year or so the next 40 Harvest Bible Chapels. And so my contribution was I got to preach, uh, teach uh, them for two days how to preach. And so I was over there, Pastor Tyler Holder went with me and Mitchell Helmkamp with, with me. We had a fun time and I, we grabbed Brooke and we didn't have anything to do on Thursday night, so we went to a movie. We had two choices of, we were like, okay, are there any acceptable movies we might want to go see? We had two options. Tyler Holder's, you know, telling me all these things. He's like, okay, it looks like there's two options. We could either go see Doctor Strange, new Marvel comic movie, okay, or we could go see this other movie called Hacksaw Ridge. And so I'm like, well, what's the plot of the two stories? Well, I don't know. It's like this mad scientist that turns into like this weird magical superhero or this World War II story. Which one's more exciting? Guess one we went to see? Doctor Strange. Uh, Doctor Strange, which was a total waste of time. Bad choice, wrong choice. We should have went to see this other movie called Hacksaw Ridge. Do you know the story of Hacksaw Ridge? It's about this, it's a true story of a World War II soldier named Desmond T. Doss. Here's a picture of Desmond T. Doss, and Desmond was actually a pacifist, and he, he, he understood that World War II was a just war. It's just that he just didn't believe in killing for any reason, and so they actually sent him to the front lines in Okinawa, and as a medical technician there, without firing a shot, 
and without ever holding a weapon, he saved 75 men in the face of enemy fire rushing into the place of death and snatching those that otherwise would have been lost forever, Desmond rescued those men. Those men, 75 of them, were saved because someone loved them enough and at the risk of his own life went into the enemy fire and snatched them from death. When we use the word saved, that's what has happened to each one of us. We have been mortally wounded by sin and yet Christ has come from where he is, the safest place in the universe, heaven, to where we are, a place where there is disease and death and killing and enemy fire and as a matter of fact, he lost his own life in the process of saving you and me who were formerly under enemy fire. When we say we have been saved, we have been rescued from something otherwise we would have no power to escape. We have been saved. But if you have been saved, how many of you have been saved and you're not ashamed of it? Raise your hand. I have been saved. What does that mean? Listen, if you have been saved, I hope you do not think of that in the past tense. Those who have been saved are still being saved and one day we will be saved. Do you understand that you need as much of the grace of God today to save you as you needed 30 years ago to save you? Why? because you sin today. What if God stopped saving you the next time you sin? Do you understand the incredible riches of God's grace and love and kindness and grace to not only save you in the past, but continually save you in the present? If you have been saved, you still need to be breathtaken by the fact that you need to be continually saved today and you're gonna need that tomorrow and you're gonna need God's grace to keep you saved every day of your life. And so we have a but God story, but we have to have that but God story going on continually throughout our lives. The Bible says here in verse six, that he has raised us and seated us in the heavenly places. I know you think you're seated where you're at right now. That's good. But in a spiritual sense, do you know that you are already seated with Christ in heaven? That's how secure your salvation is. Sometimes after church, Andrew and I get together and we find another family in the church and we go out to dinner and we've got a big family and you usually hang out with other big families and so sometimes we have to call ahead to the restaurant and we have to make sure that there are seats available. We would like to make some reservations for some seats at the table. Do you understand when Christ says he has seated you in heavenly places, do you know what that means? You've got reservations with him and you will one day, in reality, be seated with him, dislodged from wherever you're at in this world and seated with him in heaven. Can I ask you a question? 
Have you been saved? Have you? Like, well, I, I, th- I think so. I, I, I hope so. Listen, you can know so if you have a but God story. If you have had your breath taken away by the awful reality of your sin and been made alive to the awesome reality of God's grace and trusted God's grace and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can know that you have been saved. You can have a but God story. I I can remember when I was... Ten, when I was in the 10th grade, I've told you this story many times, but I didn't grow up going to church and every now and then my family would scrape us out of bed and we would go to, bed, go to church maybe two or three times a year or something like that. Uh, we made a mistake. When I was seven years old, we moved into a home next to a deacon at Cameron Baptist Church in Lawton, Oklahoma. And they started inviting us to church. Um, his daughter started dating the youth pastor at this church. So I would be out in the front uh, driveway shooting basketball hopes. He would come by to see his girlfriend next door and he would invite me to come to church. And so I actually started going in the seventh grade. It was kind of boring. It just didn't really, didn't really connect. I, I kept going because they had pizza and lock-ins and trips to Six Flags and girls. And so uh, that got, got me interested enough to continue to going. But when I got into the eighth grade and the ninth grade, there was a really aggressive Sunday school teacher that would not let me skip church. Phone calls, cards, dropping by the house. It was the full expectation that I would be in church every Sunday, and so he wouldn't let me miss. This past week, I attended the funeral of my stepfather in Lawton, Oklahoma. I walked into the funeral home, and guess who I ran into? Randy Sellers, here's a picture of me and Randy. And that guy, humanly speaking, was most responsible for me hearing the gospel. Eighth grade, ninth grade, and finally my 10th grade year, I was saved. It took me that long to have my breath taken away to how bad my sin really was. Because quite honestly, I was a pretty good guy. I I was, in comparison to the people around me, I was pretty good. I mean, why did I need to be saved? It wasn't until the truth of this passage of Scripture sunk down deep into my heart that I was dead, I was doomed, I was disobedient, I was deceived, that I realized I couldn't save myself. I needed a but God story. And so as a 10th grader, I surrendered my life to Christ. I trusted God's grace, stopped trusting in my goodness, and I was saved. Can I ask you, do you have a but God story? If you don't have a but God story, you do not have salvation. And this morning, you need to be saved. Only two types of people in this room, we said it last time we were together. There are people here who were dead and there are people here who are dead. And if you are dead, you need a but God story to make you alive 
with Christ. You interested in that? It's like, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? I'm glad you asked. We have another point in the message. What is sin? We talked about this last week. It's, it's awful. It's crossing the line. It's missing the mark, but it's more than that. It's hating the line. It's despising the mark. I want to be my own boss. I don't want to play within God's rules. I want to step outside the boundaries. Sin kills. Sin invites God's wrath. Sin is, it infects everybody. But here's what we need to know. We want to earn salvation through work, but God wants to give salvation through faith. Look at it here in verse eight. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not on your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. As I tell you my but God story, any genuine believer, any genuine Christian, if somehow he shares his story that he finally got good enough that he attracted God's favor and, and boy, we, heaven would just be such a better place if you were here. You know, you kind of hear those things at funerals and stuff and you try to rationalize why God would take somebody home. It's like, well, I guess God just needed him in heaven. No. Matter of fact, God doesn't need anything. But God wants to display his glory as a gracious God by, by, by redeeming and saving somebody as rotten and dirty as you and me. That's the story of God's grace. And yet somehow we think if I could just do enough and if I could just kind of improve myself, then somehow I'd attract God's attention, right? No, that is a works-based or a performance-based view of salvation. It is the opposite of a grace-based view of salvation. And here, we can contrast a little bit in these ways. Think about it this way. In a performance-based view of salvation, we understand sin as simply bad behavior, things I do. But in a grace-based salvation, we understand sin as a heart issue. It goes so much deeper than the surface. I don't just sin, I am a sinner. It's what I do because it's who I am. And until God gives me a but God story and changes my identity, I have no hope of stopping bad behavior. A performance-based salvation thinks this way. It believes sin's solution is by trying harder. But a grace-based salvation believes that sin solution is a change of heart. It's nothing I can do from the outside in. It's something that has to be changed from the inside out. I need a rescuer. I need a savior to come to where I am and change me from the inside out. A performance-based salvation starts your day promising to God that you'll do better. You ever do that? God, I know I'm so ashamed of the way I, I'm so ashamed of those words that came out of my mouth. I, 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 I know you saw what I, the thoughts that went through my head. And I know you saw the attempt to kill my boss today. And, and Lord, I, I thank you for saving him. Now, uh, God, I promise, I promise I won't try to kill him today. That's a performance-based salvation. God, I'm gonna work harder. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do better. You ever do that? Even those of you that have been saved, 
If you're not careful, you'll revert into a performance-based salvation as you work out your salvation. But a grace-based salvation starts the day with a plea for help. God, you know that if you don't send me some of your grace, I'm gonna be successful today in killing my boss because there's nothing good in me that's gonna change me from the way I was yesterday. God, I need you to restrain me. I need you to redirect my appetites. God, I need you to change me from the inside out. That's what a grace-based salvation does. It starts the day with a plea for help. God, you've got to do it, I can't. In a performance-based salvation, it it attempts self-rescue through personal strength and increased discipline. I know what I'll do. I'll get an accountability partner. I'll, I'll read a, a, a book on how not to sin. That's what I'll do. I'll, I'll create five boundaries here and I'll, I'll create all these external boundaries so that I can't sin anymore. That is personal strength. That is self-discipline and that'll take you about three hours to fail because it's relying upon yourself. And what you need to rely upon is something outside yourself. Grace-based salvation abandons self. It admits weakness and cries out to Christ for rescue. Do you know why the people in this room that still are dead are not saved? It's because you haven't come yet to the end of yourself where you are willing to admit you are a miserable failure doomed under the righteous wrath of Christ and you have yet to relinquish faith in self. Right now in this moment, you are either trusting Christ or you are trusting self. You either have a performance-based view of salvation or you have a grace-based view of salvation. A performance-based view of salvation can never be assured that you've done enough to be saved. And some of you have grown up in faith traditions or grown up in other churches where you were told you've got to do better, you've got to stop sinning, you've got to try harder, and that's what you've absorbed in your understanding of how to be right with God. And as a result, you lay your head on the pillow at night And you are not absolutely certain that if you died in your sleep, you would be in heaven because you don't know if you've done enough. Here's the story of the gospel. You didn't. You can't do enough. It's only Christ that's done enough to secure salvation. That's what grace gives me the assurance of. It is an absolute confidence that Christ has done all that's required by God the Father to put me in right relationship with him. Are you trusting Christ? Are you trusting your resume or Christ's resume? What you have done or what Christ has done? What we learn from the book of Ephesians is simply this. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We've been talking about conjunctions, the divine conjunction, but God. There's a defining conjunction in here too. It's the word because here in verse four. Do you see it there? 
It says, but God being rich in mercy because, did you know because is a conjunction? Am I correct on that? Check me here, check me here. Because is a conjunction. It's the defining conjunction. Why does God show us grace? Why? He answers it. Because of the great love with which he loved us. It's because of God's love that he gives us a but God story. But did you know that there is a missing conjunction in this text? Notice, it doesn't say, but God being rich in mercy and all your great behavior. Notice, it doesn't say in verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith and baptism. Do you see that anywhere in there? The word and does not come after faith. It doesn't say through faith and good church attendance. Uh, Faith and giving in the church offering at Christmas. It doesn't say faith and being in church. The conjunction and will send you to hell if you try to add anything to grace, faith, Christ, or God's glory. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some are like, well, if I believe that, I would just go out and sin all I want. I mean, why would I ever come to church? You said I didn't have to. Why would I ever give him the offering? You said I didn't have to, to be saved. Oh, but wait. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. The faith that saves is never alone. Do you know what it's always accompanied by? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, James chapter two says this, what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? That's a rhetorical question. That means the answer should be obvious. Can his faith save him? Answer, no. No. So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Some of you say you have faith in Christ. Some of you say you're a follower of Christ. Do you know what proves whether your faith is alive or dead? Things like showing up in church, things like giving toward need and being generous, Things like looking for places to display God's glory. Things like forgiveness and reconciliation and going to hard places and taking the gospel and worshiping Christ and being breathtaking every time God convicts you of sin. Those are good works which only God can produce in someone that he has made alive. And that's why our final point is this. We can't be saved by good works, but God created us for good works. Here's what we've been saying. 
God has done all the work for me. Christ's death on the cross was a sufficient payment for the penalty that I owed for my sin. God has worked for me. But God also wants to work on me. How many of you guys out there like me, you have a workbench somewhere in your garage? You have a workbench? Anybody have a workbench? How many of you right now have a project on the workbench that is unfinished? And it's been there for a long time. The ladies are smiling. They know when you started this five years ago. And they're waiting for this thing to be. Do you know that God has a workbench? Guess who is on the workbench? You are. He started this project on the day you were saved. And once you were saved, you became his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, not only to be worked upon, but to be worked through. God works for me, God works on me, and God works through me. Do you have a but God story? The reality is for all of us, There was a time when we were dead. I, I attended a funeral this week of my stepfather, and put that picture up if you would. There was that moment you come to the graveside. There's a casket, and you know that inside that casket, there is no life. It's a lifeless shell of a body. I know that you've gone to funerals and how often do we sit there in the same room with a lifeless body and it does not dawn on us the breathtaking reality that spiritually speaking, outside of Christ, I am as lifeless as the person in the casket. Until... My breath is taken away with the awfulness of my sin. My breath is taken away with the awesomeness of God's offer of grace to all who through faith will trust Christ. Salvation is by grace through faith. So you may wonder, what do I have to do? Here's what you have to do. You have to believe that you can do nothing. And you have to believe that Christ has done everything necessary to bring life and reconciliation between you and God. Two types of people in this room. Those who were dead, those who are dead. For those of you that were dead, have you become so familiar with the story that you've stopped relying upon God's grace and started relying upon your own strength, your own effort, your own performance, your own works? Is it any wonder why you're so exhausted trying to live the Christian life? We have to trust the grace of God every day for everything. When God convicts me of sin, do you make promises to try harder and do better? Or do you run to Christ and plea for help can I just kind of 
talk to those of you that would, in all honesty, would have to say, I am dead. I, I've never been saved. I don't have a but God story. You can have one before you leave church today. If you will, by faith, stop trusting in your works, stop trusting in your goodness, stop trusting in your religious formulas, and simply trust Christ, his work on the cross, what he did for you. Do you know what he did on that cross? He made himself the object of God's wrath to divert God's wrath away from you so that you could simply be an object of God's grace. Like Desmond Doss, he rushed in to pull you out of enemy fire. Does that sound like a good offer to you? We've read here this morning that God's grace is a gift. Can you imagine as a child waking up on Christmas morning running down seeing those presents that had your name on it and looking at the gift and saying, I'm not interested. While everybody else is tearing into the gifts and enjoying the gracious gift of loving parents. That's what it would be like for you today to turn and walk out of here without receiving the gift of God's grace that's already been bought and paid for and has your name on it. All you have to do is receive it by faith. If you've never done that, I wanna invite you to do it right now. Why don't we all just bow our heads, close our eyes. Two types of people, those who were dead, those who are dead. Those who have a but God story and those that need one. If this morning, you'd like to receive that gift of God's grace so that you could know that you know that you know your sin is forgiven, you've been made alive in Jesus Christ, and you have a home forever in heaven with him. If you would like to receive that gift right now, why don't you open your heart to him and just tell him, say, Lord, my breath is taken away by the awfulness of my sin. I've ignored you. I've been angry with you. I've crossed lines. I've trespassed. I've been disobedient. I've been deceived by the world the devil, the only desires of my flesh. And I need your grace. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on that cross as payment for my sin. This morning I trust you. I can never be good enough. I trust the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus.
with heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if that's your heart this morning, if you've just prayed that prayer, I wouldn't embarrass you in any way, but I would sure love to pray for you this morning and encourage you to take your next step in following Christ. For me, as a 10th grader, that was a, a hinge moment in my life. The things I once loved, I now hated. The things I once hated, I now loved. And there will be a process now of you becoming his workmanship and not only God working on you, but God working through you. And so much of that happens in the context of a local church. And we have pastors here. They're now standing here at the front. And, and we would like to, to pray with you. We'd like to give you an opportunity to acknowledge publicly what just happened privately in your heart. And I know it kind of takes some courage to step out in a, in a room like this. Listen, everybody in this room who has been saved has experienced what you're feeling right now. It's like, oh, I just, so, I just, I don't know if I can live this and, and I don't know if I can publicly say it and what if I fail? Listen, that's why we need each other. That's why we need a church. That's why we need some pastors to come alongside and help us in the next step. We've got a new believers packet we would love to give you. And so in just a moment, we're gonna stand. Micah's gonna lead us in a song. I'd like to encourage you, when you stand, don't hesitate, stand and step. Step out into that aisle. The people around you, they would love to clear that aisle out, make a way for you to come down, be greeted here by a pastor. Why don't you just come and say these words? I have been saved. Or I need to be saved. Or I need a but God story. This is your moment to proclaim publicly what Christ has done privately there in your heart. And so I'm going to pray for us all. When I say amen, we're all going to stand. Micah's going to lead us. Why don't you come during that song? Father, thank you for your grace. Our breath is taken away that you would be so good, so kind, so loving to do everything necessary at the risk of your own life and the cost of your own life to breathe life into us. And so I pray, God, for those that this morning need a but God story. Would you give them the faith obedience and even the courage to step forward now and come acknowledging that you are Savior, you are Lord, and this is a new day for them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.